This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning, Gloria, a.k.a. Mom. <laughs> How are things in New York? It's 1 o'clock there, huh? It's getting cold? Yeah, it is, and it's, yep, it's starting to feel like fall. So and I guess we're in the middle of fall now, November 11th. Right, everybody's back in school and uh, going strong about this time. Yep. Well, uh, we've got a great guest today, and I really like, we're going to, she's one of our authors from Open to Hope, and we hope you'll go to Open to Hope and look under uh, our contributors, and she's got some great articles there. Her name's Kim Go, and she's an artist, writer, expressive arts coach, and she's trained at Zen Hospice, and you know, Heidi, I'm really interested in in uh, con- uh, meditation and, and all the different things that people can do. So I'm going to be excited to talk to her about some of her mindfulness techniques, and uh, really interesting. Absolutely, and Kim is such an expert in how to work through loss because she's had so many losses in her life, um, including the loss of her life partner, Brian, and she's also had early father loss and divorce and fertility. I mean, it goes on and on. She's, she's really, she can show us how she's moved through it and how she's found hope again after all these losses. Right, uh, finding uh, resourcefulness and creativity and all those great things. Well, welcome to our show today, Kim. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gloria and Heidi. I, I wanted to also thank you for the show. I've listened to your show for probably over two years. So and I listen to it um, on iTunes, the uh, podcast mm-hmm. that you have posted that I can download on my computer. And, you know, I, if your listeners haven't checked those out on your website or on iTunes, I recommend it. It's really a great um the specificity of all of the different kinds of losses that you have worked with over the years of doing the show are just such a great resource for those people who are grieving. So I wanted to thank you for those. Well, thank you, Kim. That's great uh, to know that we've got somebody here listening, isn't it, Heidi? Sometimes Heidi and I are like, is there anybody out there, right, Heidi? <laughs> Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that you were you were a listener and now you're a guest. I mean, it's it's wonderful. It kind of shows your journey as well. Uh, yes, so. and I have gotten a lot of strength and hope from your uh, efforts to do the radio show and the website. So um, there's a lot of great material there that your listeners could benefit from, and I have totally benefited from. So. I just wanted to thank you for that. Uh, well, thank you. You know, one of the things that we were really interested in, Kim, was your article on the bucket list. And I don't know if people remember seeing that that movie where, uh, who, who was it that were, I can't remember the two actors that did it, but it was making a list. They were getting older. And was it, who was it, who were the two guys that did it? Was it Walter Matt? It wasn't Walter Matthau, was it? Oh, Jack Nicholson. That's it. My engineer is telling me, Jack Nicholson. And who was the other guy? Do you remember? Hmm? Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah, Morgan Freeman, right. Those two guys made up, a, they were going to die, and they went on a trip together. Morgan Freeman was going to die, wasn't he? And they made a, up a list of things that they wanted to do before they died. And I know, Kim, you wrote an article about the fact that your friend Brian, um, that his friends wanted him to make up a bucket list, uh, and he had pancreatic cancer, and they uh, said he had six 
what six to twelve months to live, and his friends wanted to go to Burning Man. Well, if anybody knows anything about that, that's out in the desert. It's a big event, and and uh, he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't do that. I thought that was really interesting, and so you decided that uh, tell us tell us about it in your own words. Well, essentially, uh, I decided that you know Brian's bucket list would have been far more brave and courageous than mine ever would be, and that I would kind of think through the things that he would have wanted to do, and that as I had opportunity and the courage, that I might try to do those. Like he loved parasailing and things like that that you would never see me doing, but. Um, you know, I've added those kind of things into my bucket list in honor and memory of him, and it's a way of kind of staying in a continuing bond with him as I participate in those things. Yeah, I love it. So so Kim made up her own bucket list, right, Heidi? And said, you know, because we're always making up ideas for other people, aren't we? And saying, you know, this is what you should be doing, or this is what, you know, let's make up your list. But um, I, didn't you love that, Heidi, the way she made her own? I absolutely loved it, and I loved it that she did it as a way to honor Brian. And and like you said, Kim, in one of your writings, you know, you realized when Brian was kind of hesitant that he was probably sicker than he was leading on. And I think you said that 22 days after his diagnosis, he died? Yes, yes. Wow. That's amazing. It was a fast progression of the cancer. And so, yes. So it was all about, I took him home with hospice and took care of him at home for 22 days before he crossed over. And so we did the essential things of his getting to be spending time with his children and his closest friends, but that was about all that we had time for. Wow. How are you doing on your bucket list? Um, I'm doing pretty well, actually. <laughs> but I don't think I, I haven't gone parasailing yet. <laughs> and you said that he would have wanted to go parasailing, right? Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. Kim, I love how you also give links. There's links out there if people want to get ideas of what they can put on their bucket list. There's websites. Yeah. 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 That's fun. There's a lot of really good on, online resources for doing that kind of thing. Now, another, another article you do is talking about photos, which I thought was great. Um, when people don't have photos, talk about that a little bit because uh, photos are important, aren't they? Yes, um, I was um, actually, I'm online with a lot of widows, um, and we were having a discussion, and many of them were saying that they didn't have the photos they wished they had, um, either that they hadn't picked up the camera enough, or that, you know, their beloved had died before their child was born, or any number of circumstances, and so, you know, we we started to talk about creative ways to deal with that so that they could create meaning-making with photos in their lives, irrespective of the current inventory of photos that they had. And, in fact, one of my colleague, friend, widows, um, she had a photo session with her young children holding pictures of her uh, military husband who had died and even one of them was so adorable, the young boy had his military hat on, and it was so big, you know, he was swimming in it and holding this portrait of his daddy and having his picture taken. So the picture of dad is, is there with the son in the photo, and 
They're cute. She put them on uh, Facebook. I got to see them. They're just absolutely beautiful, and I think it gave her strength to do that. What a lovely thing. And also, I like the idea that you said that if you decide to do photos, you can get the word out there that because there are other people that have photos. So um, maybe they'll come and put them online or whatever. Don't you like that idea, Heidi, of people bringing photos onto Facebook or whatever that they've got? I love it. I think it's wonderful. Photos that we've never even seen before. Right. I think it is so healing. Mm-hmm. Such a good idea. Yeah, I really like that. In fact, you know, I, I just can't imagine that there aren't a lot of people that have photos out there of your loved ones, so you might want to get the word out that you're looking for them. And then you were talking about the fact that you can do collages where may, or drawings or whatever that, that remind you of that person and, and bring in their memories that way. Right. It's a, a lovely idea. You know, I think all of these things, you know, because I've had so much impermanence in my life, um, the three things that you kind of mentioned, um, my father dying when I was 12. I had my own brush with mortality when I was 17. I was in a car accident that I should have mm-hmm. been dead, really. And I mm-hmm. managed to survive and not have any huge permanent damage due to the car accident. So that has kind of, my life journey has kind of taken me Um, so that I've become maybe more of a generalist rather than a specialist on one particular kind of grief and loss. And so all of these things are things I've learned from my own path and what unifies these experiences to equip people who've all kinds of encounters with loss, you know. And so whether or not it's a parent, a child, um, a miscarriage, whatever it is, that there are these larger themes that we can be working with for um, experiencing and conversing with this impermanence and loss and grief in our life. Well, talk about some of your mindfulness techniques, because uh, that also, you have a, a wonderful article on our site on mindfulness techniques. And I, and I thought there were, you know, there are really some important points and good ideas that it doesn't matter what your loss has been, but um, talk a little bit about those. Right. Well, some of that comes, um, I am personally not, I should say, I'm not Buddhist. Um, I have studied Buddhism and I have read of Buddhism and practiced some of it, but I would not consider myself an expert, so I want to say that first. But uh, the Buddhists have taught me quite a bit about uh, the problem of suffering and pain. And um, essentially, Buddhism tells us that the, the state that we think of as permanence is really an illusion, and it's an artificial construct. So um, that's kind of a fundamental shift from my Western perceptions that were built on, you know, kind of acquisition and overcoming impermanence, you know. Yeah, and you were talking uh, about the amygdala in the brain, which is kind of our pleasure center. I thought it was interesting, and you talked about how you can actually change. You know, I like the simplicity of it, how you, if you uh, express your thoughts in writing or verbally, that it can actually change the brain process, which I fully believe. And um, I like your mindfulness technique where you just have somebody try to express the words without maybe even being in touch with the feeling like, I feel angry, I feel fear, this is peace, 
Yeah, just saying those words, I I feel angry, maybe at a point, time when you don't, you know, when you're not uh, really into that anger. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things about mindfulness is that it can really cause a distinction to happen between the, the feeling of pain and actually suffering with the pain. Um, and if you think about it, there are always times that we've experienced pain, but we have not suffered with it. And then there are times we've had pain that we have totally suffered with it. And so in the mindfulness, we're being familiar with the pain. We're having a conversation with the pain, but we're breathing and we're stretching and we're bringing love alongside of that pain, and it causes the pain to turn away from suffering. And it it keeps our mind in a place of being present, which, you know, I mean, people after... Losses can experience things like panic attacks and, and the like. And so mindfulness is a real way to stay present with your breathing and um, not run away from that part that can ground you. I like the, the things that you say about drawing your grief, too, and, and the point that you don't have to be an artist. Like, you you know, you give some descriptions, and I'll do them briefly, of what some people have used, a never-ending staircase, a thief being stalked by a murderer or whatever, and, and uh, a river, a cloud, fog, an onion, a heavy blanket, however you want to dry your grief. And um, and that's another way, I think, to access different parts of your brain doing it. But one of the problems that I think we have early on is that monkey mind. Uh, wouldn't you say, Heidi, where you can't concentrate and where you could just kind of uh, are all over the place? Absolutely, yes. That's, that's, it makes it really hard, like you said. I mean, even to sit down and meditate for five minutes or focus on, on any material for five minutes is, is a challenge early on. Absolutely. So, right, and I think that becomes then, um, you know, a, an issue where the actual thing that you're being called to early on, um, mm-hmm. the, the the process that is fundamental early on, is the resourcefulness of staying quiet, of resting, mm-hmm. of eating, of looking for a loving environment for a hug. Um, and those elements are essential in the beginning. They don't have to be any more sophisticated than that. They can be the very simple. In fact, the more simple, the better, usually. Right. And, Kim, I like uh, that. Uh, that's that's really good information for people out there early on. Right, absolutely. Now, in all your losses, do you have any turning points that are especially meaningful for you? Um, I think particularly with the loss of my soulmate and my life partner, it really did create a situation where I had to start really looking for those macro truths that were going to sustain me and places where I, this is what I call it, it's like carrying borrowed light because you're in the darkness, you're in a wilderness interior and exterior to yourself and it is an unknown, uncharted place. And so, uh, you know, it was all a process of where could I find the light to borrow. <laughs> and so I was looking for those macro trees that I could hang on to. And again, that becomes very simple because they're statements, they're affirmations, like 
if you go to men and grief groups, you'll hear some of these affirmations over and over again. And because I've been to so many, I've heard them like, I'm stronger than I thought I was, or I would love this person again, irrespective of the pain I'm in now. And you guys, even with your header for your, uh, for your show, you say, you need not walk alone. That's another macro truth that we need to kind of lean on when our resources are waning and, and we're in the dark and we can't see. So, you know, looking for those macro truths, and that's one of the reasons why creativity and the creatives are a great resource because creatives stay with the feeling places and the meaning-making places and illuminating the truth. So they they keep us um, in those places of feeling when that's what we want to deflect. But they also offer those truths, those macro truths that we can hang on to. So, you know, musicians, poets, visual artists, writers, philosophers, spiritual seekers, all of those people can help us. And I think, you know, my, my Brian was a creative in that he was a sound designer and um, you work in... No wonder they wanted him to go to Burning Man if he was a sign designer, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, kind of uh, our life together was immersed in, you know, all different kind of creative aspects of living. And that became like community to me at three in the morning when you might not be able to call a friend. I could pick up a book of poetry and it became like a family to me to live with, to have the books and the movies and the visual art and the music around me to help kind of give me that stabilization. Ah, wonderful. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being one of our authors and for being on the show. And I know you're doing so much good in the world and, and being out there. It's, it's just great to know you. Kim, thank you so much for helping people find peace after loss. And if people want to read more about what Kim's done, they can go to her website or they can go to Open to Hope and read her articles. Thank you, Kim. Well, Heidi, it's great to have Kim on the show. You know, I love the fact when she said um, that she finds some light to borrow. I thought that was a wonderful thought. And, and I think it fits into what we believe, which is uh, lean on our hope until you find your own if you're feeling hopeless right now because there are people like Kim and, and all the people that we connect with on the show and on the website. They're amazing people, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. They inspire me every day. Well, you've been listening to the Open to Hope show today with your host, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. And we want to say that... We're here, and every week, every Thursday, you can listen to our show, post it on our website. And we want you to remember that you're not alone in this and that we're here and you do not walk alone. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.